where her body was recovered. And you turn around, as the crow flies, there's the apartment. I didn't need cell phone data. Let's say it was a crime of opportunity. That doesn't mean that this guy isn't thinking about this stuff all the time. You have sure. to be thinking about it to recognize it at that time. She did the right thing. She called for help. And obviously he prevented her from either making the call or finishing the call. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free true crime. That's amazon.com slash ad-free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to Best Case, Worst Case. I'm your host, Francie Hakes, former state and federal prosecutor. Y'all, we have some subs in today that I'm very excited about. Jim had a bit of a, I'll just call it a minor medical emergency. He's going to be completely fine, but he could not record today. And so I have asked two incredibly special return guests, and let's start with the lady from Chicago. Please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Maureen O'Connell. I'm a retired FBI agent. I spent 25 years in Los Angeles working all criminal matters, and I spent 20 years on the evidence response team. Fantastic. And my uh, friend, practically in my own backyard. I'm Cheryl McCollum. I'm a crime scene investigator, and I have a podcast called Zone 7. That's fantastic. Okay, so Mac and Maureen, and just so everyone knows uh, on Best Case, Worst Case, thanks for listening to the podcast. Mac and Maureen and I are a bit of a triumvirate. We're doing some interesting work on a particular cold case that at some point we'll uh, bring to you, hopefully, and talk about when we make some progress on it, that is. It's a big deal. But it's <laughs> a big deal. But in the meantime, I'm so appreciative of you, all, uh, of you all joining me today because last week on the podcast, Jim and I talked about the murder of Lakin Riley here in Athens, Georgia, at my alma mater, the University of Georgia. And at that time that Jim and I were recording, poor Lakin's body had just been discovered and no one had been arrested yet. And so we haven't had a chance to update our listeners on the case, which since we recorded the podcast has absolutely blown up into an international story for a lot of really great reasons. And so I brought the two of you in because, Mac, you've got some real on-the-ground sort of on-scene knowledge that I wanted to bring to our listeners because my on-scene knowledge at University of Georgia is, um, let's just say, a bit antiquated at this point. And Maureen, you, of course, were uh, an absolutely high-level FBI agent and evidence gatherer, and I wanted to talk to you about some of the evidence. So I want to start um, with just a quick update for the listeners. So after Jim and I recorded Lake and Riley's, uh, the, about Lake and Riley's murder or apparent murder, the police did an absolutely unbelievably fast job. Uh, I suspect there are a lot of factors in this, which we're going to talk about today in, in how quick the arrest was, but they have arrested a man named Jose Abara, who lived in an apartment complex very close to where Lake and Riley's body was found and where she was running on the intramural trails there at the university or near the intramural fields at the University of Georgia. 
they've arrested him and charged him with a variety of crimes that include felony murder and interfering with a 911 call and aggravated battery, which is a very specific crime that we're going to talk about a little bit. So he's been arrested and, and he's under charge. In the meantime, the DA's office, which is a very controversial DA's office, the new DA is someone I would consider not very law and order. And she ran off all her experienced prosecutors or almost all her experienced prosecutors when she took office at the beginning of 2021. And so she has brought in a, a really great prosecutor named Sheila Ross, who works for the Prosecuting Attorneys Council of Georgia and has lots of experience to lead the prosecution team in this case, which gives me a lot of faith in where the prosecution will go. But let's go back to the investigation. I want to start with you, Mac, because you and this podcast friend, Lisa Ribikoff, actually, uh, at the request of Nancy Grace and her uh, podcast and show, mm-hmm. went to Athens shortly after the murder happened and went to the scene and made lots of observations and talked to people. So can you just give us a quick summary of what you guys sure. saw uh, when you went there? Sort of describe the scene to listeners who've never been to the intramural fields there at Georgia. It is a beautiful area. So you've got this large parking deck. It's like three stories right at Lake Herrick. Then you've got a place where you can drive up to like the top of this little hill where the band practices. So you've got their field. You've got you know, like soccer and lacrosse and other places. You've got tennis courts. So when we were there, there were people bringing flowers like right at the bottom of Lake Herrick. Um, there were folks kayaking. It looked to me like there was um, even a PE class going on with pickleball. There was probably 40 kids out there playing. It was a spectacular, just beautiful day. And then when we drove up to where the band practiced, we decided to walk the trail from the bottom of Lake Herrick back up to the where there's a little pond. So a lot of the photographs you're seeing right there at the bottom where the parking deck is, is not where she was killed. So you have to go all the way up the trail and, and imagine almost like a, a a target. So you have a track you can run here, and then there's another track, and then another So you're, you're describing concentric circles that kind of go out like a target. Correct. And, you know, they're, you know, shaped like a cool map, you know, but what she was doing, she was running the outermost perimeter. So she was training for a marathon. And I think there's a couple of heroes in here, too, that I don't want to forget about. One is her roommate. Yeah, yes. there's a whole lot of people that could say, I don't know where she went. I mean, I went to class, she went to do whatever, and they may not take notice until the next day even. But her roommate, so quickly, without feeling like, oh, I'm going to look stupid if she walks back in the door, she called the police and said she has not returned, and that is not like her, which I think set this whole thing in motion so quick. Because then, as they're canvassing, The next hero was somebody that had a ring camera type camera. And I believe we're going to find out some other people that had some type of witness of this person. So where she is on that track, if she had parked at the parking deck, she would have run all the way around Lake Herrick, went up a pretty significant hill, banked right to the the right of way to go back toward the band field. And that's where she was attacked. So literally, there's one of two ways, either from the apartment complex, and y'all, I'm talking about as the crow flies, it's a four-minute walk at most. 
So he could have gone right So people in that apartment complex that sort of abuts the intramural Mm -hmm. fields in Lake Herrick, Mm -hmm. um, those people can easily walk to the trail and probably lots of them do that for exercise. Because you have apartment complex, apartment complex, apartment complex, apartment, all the way down that road. The pathway, it is a well-traveled path. Even when we were there, we got to meet an 80-something-year-old man walking his dog that said he had walked that track since 1979. Tons of kids were out. Tons of citizens were there. Again, utilizing every part of it, the lake, the trails, the track, the fields. I mean, they were people everywhere. Well, and you know, Mac, what what interests me about that, and Maureen, I want to ask you about this too, given your investigator background, you know, as a as a special agent with the FBI. Uh, Jim and I talked last week without knowing who the offender was at that point, but we talked mm-hmm. about what we thought was the most likely scenario, and Jim felt like the mo- you know the most likely scenario was a crime of opportunity that this was something that just happened that the offender happened upon her and then there was attack and. You know, and what I think is it was an attended sexual assault. I don't know that. I don't have any evidence for that yet. I suspect if that's the case, we'll eventually learn of it. Uh, otherwise, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So that to me is what makes the most sense is that this Ibarra fellow uh, saw her, decided to engage in some kind of sexual assault, and and then that resulted in him killing her. But so Maureen, what is it that you most need to know as an investigator when you're in the position that Mac describes. It's a wooded area. There is a ton of access by a ton of people. How do you narrow the field to develop a suspect and do it quickly, considering the campus is shut down and the city, which hasn't experienced a murder like this on campus in 30 years, is in a panic. So you got to find the offender. What do do you do? Well, the first thing is what Mac um, alluded or talked about earlier, which is doing it quickly. And the fact that her roommate, I agree, absolute hero, she called it in, she got it. Uh, and, and within an hour, yeah, I mean, that police officer was doing CPR on the victim. So that tells you how, how soon after. It was a short window. And within that window, and then the police went right out and looked for her too, which is also fantastic on their part. Really well done. Unfortunately, the ending is terrible. For the victim, it's just unbelievable how, how brutal this attack was. But then you can do geofencing with the with the phones too, and see who was in that area in that small amount of time. It makes it far more manageable. Well, because Maureen, like you say, there's a limited time. We know she went out to the run at like nine nine p.m. and a roommate called the police somewhere right around noon. So there's only a three hour window. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about this geofencing because this has actually come up as everyone who follows the news probably knows in the Trump case that's going on here in Georgia uh, with the controversy over the prosecutor and the lead prosecutor having an affair. And there's been some cell records and and some expert testimony about, well, not testimony yet, but affidavit about geofencing. Can you just talk about what that is and how the FBI or police get that information? It essentially shows what phones are pinging in that area. And that's just the geofencing is just one element. You can also look at cell site data, which is what you're talking about with the um, with the situation in uh, with the DA and her boyfriend in in Atlanta. There, if, if we go back to the Murdoch trial, what you saw there with regard to their, if, if any of you watched that that trial, which I was just riveted by that trial, particularly the cell phone data, that data was a, a layering 
of every type of technology that that tracks people that you can imagine and it put it on top of it of, of itself so that you could see not only what cell towers those phones hit off when those cell towers intersected so there's a bubble of intersection in the middle now you can pinpoint it uh, more closely but then you can look at the apps that do tracking all these big businesses put tons of money into tracking people to see where they are, to see what they're looking at, when they're stopping to look in a window in a mall, for example. It mm -hmm. shows what you're interested in. So they put a lot of money into this. And a lot of times when you just hit agree to the terms of service, you're being tracked. And you're being tracked oftentimes by five, six, seven, eight things at the same time. What you have in Atlanta there right now with the cell site towers is just where these phones are pinging off of, and it doesn't show exactly where you are. However, I think if, let's say, if the DAs in Atlanta, or excuse me, if uh, Trump's team in Atlanta decided to subpoena all the different ways that you can look at this or ask for the FBI's help, um, I, don't, I don't think the defense team can get that. But if you had the CAST team, the computer analysis team for the Bureau, they'll take all that into consideration. But a lot of large departments like you'd have there in, in Atlanta would be able to do the same thing. They're, they, I think, are going to have to hire just an expert team like the one I have with my company. But so anyhow, there's a number of different ways that you can look at all this stuff. A lot of it doesn't happen very quickly unless you have access to this these type of capabilities. But the, the fact that the timeline was small, I think allowed them to really, really hammer into exactly who was there, when, and why. And I also yep. think that this Ibarra guy was, was watching her. I agree with you, Francie, even though, let's say it was a crime of opportunity, that doesn't mean that this guy isn't thinking about this stuff all the time. You have sure. to be thinking about it to recognize it at that time in my- As an opportunity, yeah. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Well, yes. exactly. And so I think, Maureen, what you're saying that I find so fascinating about data and cell tower information uh, is that it allowed them, I assume, we don't know all this yet, but I assume it allowed them to narrow the suspect pool very quickly to a limited mm -hmm. uh, geographic area and a limited time period, which would have... Uh, as they're canvassing the neighborhood, as they're knocking on doors, as they're looking at whatever pole cameras or whatever surveillance cameras that are ring doorbell cameras that are in the area, they're then able to compare all of that data, um, which of course is a lot of information. And so that's to me what people need to understand about how remarkable this arrest was, in my opinion, so quick 
because they had to narrow down an awful lot of data that takes mm-hmm. lots of people to review the camp, to get the camera information, to get the tapes, the recordings, and to go through them, get the cell tower information because they don't have it. They have to get it from the provider and to go through it and to compare those suspect pools. So well, I think one, it was really the, impressive and well done. Sorry, go ahead. One other thing, and, and Matt can talk to this too, is when you're when you're um, reviewing this this uh, video that you're seeing, you're going to see college kids come out with their running clothes on. You're going to see kids that have their water bottle. You're going to see this, and then they probably saw one dude that looked exhausted, sweaty, and like he'd just been in the fight of his yeah. life. Which but wasn't probably, probably wasn't dressed to go out for a run or participate it's in nice a mural, thing. so would have stood out because he was probably in jeans or whatever he was in. So it's what well, we let call me tell the you. absence. It's what we call the absence of normalcy. So you yeah. you, you see all these things. It's a hiker. It's a runner. Whoa, what's mm-hmm. this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure, Matt. And, go I, ahead. and I'll tell you, I have had the opportunity to work a scene with Maureen O'Connell, so I know what she's about. I know how she operates. And one thing that she and I are absolutely aligned in. You gotta go. You gotta walk where he walked. You gotta hunt where he hunted. And then it's gonna be very clear. Once we got to the point where we knew this is the area, if you are literally standing where her body was recovered and you turn around as the crow flies, there's the apartment. I didn't need cell phone data. I don't need anybody to be a witness. I'm walking right there because we all know most killers are men and most men are A to B people. That's so A to B, ain't no way to ignore it. And you walk right to it. There's a little gate that's like, well, it's a fence really with no door. You know, there's no real gate to it. But once you walk past that and you're in the apartment, like parking lot area, right to your right are dumpsters. So I believe he came right through there and started getting rid of bloody clothes immediately. Well, that's been reported, be Mac. We, I've seen that in the news. I've seen that there was a at least one ring doorbell. But I mean, immediately. I think yeah. it's that dumpster. And then I think he went across the street and got rid of more stuff in that dumpster at the gas station. I think he tried to put it because in Because that's always places. so effective, right? It's always it's so effective. Well, and we're never going to look in the trash can. Criminal, let's be honest. I mean, yeah, let's be well, honest. But So some of the things that we've learned since his arrest have come from law enforcement, from, you know, affidavits and uh, warrant applications and whatnot. And what we've learned, some of the, it's just incredibly disturbing this case. Like I mentioned, the aggravated battery, which in Georgia means creating substantial bodily harm. It is a felony in Georgia, and it means if you injure someone and create substantial bodily harm. This is not from like slapping someone, which Mm -hmm. might be simple battery. Aggravated battery in Georgia law requires there to be evidence of substantial injury. And here the police have cited a disfigured skull, which I think goes to what you've been saying, Mac, and that he was getting Mm -hmm. rid of bloody clothes, which I think suggests that he used some kind of an instrument. Now, whether that was a a stick or a club or a flashlight or a or cell phone or or his fist. I don't know what. Aggravated battery mm-hmm. doesn't require a weapon, although he's also charged with aggravated assault. And that does require a deadly weapon, which 
suggests to me, again, as the prosecutor who's done cases here, that there was some kind of weapon and it was a deadly one. Now, it could be a knife. It could be a gun. It could be a club, any of the, a, ba a baseball bat, a board, any of those things can be converted into a deadly weapon. But it's why mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think that he used his fist because aggravated assault requires yeah. a weapon. So now well, we have well, a little Francie, more information. Yeah. To, to your point right there, that could be exactly what they saw on, on some of the video footage. Some guy walking out mm -hmm. with a board in his hand or, or, mm -hmm. a, yeah. or a baseball bat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It could he be. would have had to try and, to discard. And I will tell y'all right where her body was is like a, the the little pond, but then across the little street from that is what I would call like a spill well. And it's got huge rocks that line it. And it's probably the size of two SUVs. So if he walked past that, he could have easily picked up a rock, waited for her right there in the woods to come up that hill. And as soon as I heard about this, one of the first things I talked to Nancy Grace about was, it sounds just like Chandra Levy. Before yeah. there was even an arrest, yeah. that perpetrator waited until she, you know, traversed this huge hill. So she was somewhat fatigued. Um, she had on Walkman, you know, Lakin had on, you know, ear pods and that sort of thing. So, I mean, it's very similar. And then you get right down to it, somebody from another country that's here illegally. I mean, it's very similar. Well, and you and know, so Mac, that's such a great point because uh, we hear from safety experts like you guys all the time, especially uh -huh. as women, don't run uh, with your hearing impaired. You, you've mm -hmm. got to be aware. And then, of course, you need to be aware of your surroundings. But she's training for a marathon. She's right. not thinking about her surroundings. I can't blame her. And you know what? Damn it. In this she society, shouldn't have to. she shouldn't Absolutely. have to. She ought Absolutely. to be able to run any yep. time of the day or night and be perfectly secure. And the fact that Women, of course, yeah. are much higher targets for this sort of thing is maddening. It makes me so angry. And lastly, before I let you guys go, um, we're obviously going to have to have you back to, to discuss more about this case as the investigation reveals more details. But the most, well, other than her death, of course, the most heartbreaking thing to me in all of this, and it really upsets me and gets me emotional, is we saw a charge come out of hindering a 911 call. And right. when I saw that, I just I, I just felt almost like this deep despair because mm -hmm. it sounds like Lakin Riley fought for herself and tried to save mm -hmm. herself, called 911. I don't know whether it was when she spotted him and thought mm -hmm. him suspicious or when he approached her or after he assaulted her, I don't know. I right. We will find that out. But she she did the right thing. She called for help. And obviously he prevented her from uh, either making the call or finishing the call. That evidence must have come from her cell phone. Uh, police have refused to re release any 911 call, which suggests mm -hmm. there is one. Mm -hmm. So I assume we'll eventually hear that as well, which may very well, like some other 911 calls I've heard as a prosecutor, may very well capture her actual killing itself, which is horribly chilling. But as a prosecutor, uh, is evidence that is so strong and is going to help, hopefully, convict mm -hmm. this scumbag murderer and put him behind bars forever or put him in the death chair. We'll see what the prosecutor Can decides to do. Can I offer a quick do. tip? That, yeah. Like, yeah, this is for your home, essentially, but also if you're, uh, hopefully no one ever finds himself in a situation like this, but we know that's not the case. So in my, in my at home, I know that 
if I if, if if I were to throw my phone under my dresser, you couldn't get it unless you went on all fours, practically laid down and put your arm under there. So that I actually have it in my head that if someone breaks into my house, I'm going to defend myself, of course, but I'm going to call 911 and I'm throwing that phone right under there. That way that phone stays on and someone can hear what's happening and I can try to fight, engage, whatever, get him to speak, piss him off so he yells so they can hear whatever it is and he's not going to be able to get to that phone. Now, in a situation like this, you'd have to throw it under- Just throw it in the woods. Throw it somewhere away from you so that he's going to at least make an effort to go get it. Well, y'all, we've had some technical difficulties with this episode of Best Case, Worst Case. I apologize for that. Unfortunately, that means that I have cut off Mac and Maureen before uh, they were actually finished, but I spoke to them and I wanted to bring y'all their uh, sort of final thoughts about this case. You know, Mac noted that Lake and Riley did everything right. She tried to save her own life. She was running in broad daylight. She was running in a place where there were lots of people. And uh, she tried to call 911 to save her life. And it was all to no avail. She should have been able to feel safe and run any time of the day or the night, for that matter, anywhere, and be safe in this state and in this country. And it is such a shame that she was not. And I'm so sorry for her family that she was lost. Maureen made the point that the very best is needed for a case like this, the very best kind of resources. We have police that are uh, strapped because of all this crazy defund the police uh, nonsense that's happened over the last few years. Just remember when a case like this happens, when Lake and Riley needs your help, when she needs police help, when she needs prosecution help, when something tragic happens, she deserves our very best. And our very best means resources. That means hiring the best. That means training the best. That means giving the best the best resources that they need in order to get justice for Lake and Riley. And Maureen's point was so well taken. Um, We're definitely going to have them back on the podcast as we learn more about the murder of Lake and Riley as the investigative details reveal themselves over the next few days and weeks and months. And I hope that her family takes some comfort in knowing that this team that was assembled seemingly uh, worked near miracles to get this case solved so quickly that we, Mac and Maureen and I all feel like is most likely the result of all the technology that exists today, the cell data, the 911 call, uh, witnesses, of course, doorbell cameras and other cameras that were probably in the area that allowed them to see the path that was allegedly taken by Abara when he committed this this terrible crime, allegedly committed this terrible crime, I should say. So uh, I already thanked Mac and Maureen for joining me, but I want to thank them on the podcast publicly so that they um, know how much I appreciate them subbing in for Jim Clemente. Maureen noted that there is no substitute for Jim Clemente. And then Mac said something funny, which I'm so sorry y'all missed, about who is Jim Clemente. And then we all had a good laugh. And I'm sorry you missed that part because of our technical recording difficulties that we had for this podcast. But uh, thanks to Mac and Maureen for joining me on Best Case, Worst Case. We all send our best to Jim Clemente for a speedy recovery from his minor medical emergency that he had today. And until next time, this is Best Case, Worst Case, signing off. Best Case, Worst Case is an XG production produced by Francie Hakes, 
and Jim Clemente at Empire Studios LA. Engineered and edited by Matt Gergel. Music composed and performed by Simba Sumba and hosted by Wondery. You can listen to Best Case, Worst Case on your favorite listening app. We are on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to do something about child sexual abuse, Darkness Delight can help. Did you know that more than 90% of the time children are sexually abused by someone they know? Jim, this isn't about stranger danger. It's about learning the true risks. Darkness to Light's training can help prevent, recognize, and react to child sexual abuse in your community. When you make the decision to get involved, kids can be protected. It starts with you. Visit www.d2l.org to take the training and learn more. That's d2l.org.